0: You're listening to uh, On Israel in Al-Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Details of uh, last month's uh, meeting between President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Naftali Bennett are coming out bit by bit. For example, Biden apparently made it very clear to Bennett that he plans to keep his campaign promise and reopen the American consulate in East Jerusalem, even though Israel's political right hates the idea. But with all due respect to the consulate reopening and its uh, repercussions of greater importance is what the the two men agreed on more strategic issues that Israel regards as truly existential, chief among them the return to the nuclear deal with Iran and the alternatives in case these talks don't pan out. The International Atomic Energy Agency issued a periodic uh, report last week which said Iran continues to expand its stocks of enriched uranium and is nearing the amount of uh, fissile material it needs for its first bomb. We will talk about uh, this and other matters with one of the people most familiar with Washington-Jerusalem relations for the simple reason that he served as Israel's ambassador to the U.S., for four years under somewhat similar circumstances. Dr. Michael Oren was Benjamin Netanyahu's first ambassador to Washington during the Obama administration, and he is well-placed to offer Bennett's ambassador to the Biden administration some useful advice. As I said, the circumstances are similar. A right-wing Israeli government and a democratic U.S. administration, with Iran's nuclear ambitions overshadowing these relation, their relationship. We will ask uh, Dr. Oren, who is also a respected historian and former Knesset member, about the operational options Israel has to block Iran's nuclear program, Uh, what lessons Israel uh, could and should learn from the Obama-Netanyahu relationship fiasco, whether Israel is edging closer to war with Iran, and what role Hezbollah will play in light of its uh, balance of mutual deterrence with the IDF. Ambassador Dr. Michael Oren joins us right after this short break.
1: If you are listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including The Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region Based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting, and if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform. On Israel with Ben Caspit, and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti.
0: Now I'm happy to uh, say hello uh, to Ambassador Dr. Michael Oren. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? And thank you for joining us here in On israel Good to be with you, Ben, as always. Thanks. And uh, I wanted to talk to you first about uh, uh, an essay. You recently wrote an opinion piece uh, arguing that there was a, re- a reasonable chance of a military clash between Israel and Iran and, uh, and do you think the Iranians will try uh, to time such a clash for the winter months in order to limit the capabilities of the Israeli Air Force? And can you share with us the thinking that led you to this uh, assessment?
2: Well, I try to put myself in the, the minds of the Ayatollahs. Men. And I'd have to ask myself, that why not use this opportunity to break out and make a nuclear weapon? Now, keep in mind, the Iranian regime will not be satisfied with what's known as threshold capacity, the ability to break out quickly and make a nuclear weapon. I think they have to have the weapon itself. They need it uh, for regime stability and survival. They saw what happened to Saddam Hussein. They, have, they saw what happened to Muammar Gaddafi when they gave up their nuclear programs. They died. They saw what didn't happen to the North Koreans because they didn't give up their nuclear uh, programs. So it's, it's survivability of the regime. But more importantly, I think for this for this regime is also its, its prestige. And they are, you know, the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, and they look at the Indians and they've got a bomb. They look at the Pakistanis, they've got a bomb. Uh, they look at Israel and they believe that Israel has a bomb. Uh, how is it possible that the, the Islamic Republic of, of Iran doesn't have a bomb? It's essential for their for their raison d'etre. Uh, so then they have to say to themselves, the Ayatollahs, okay, when can we get this bomb? We have now enriched enough uh, uranium to near weapons grade that it would take a very short period of time to break out and make that weapon. They've seen the pictures from Kabul, from Afghanistan. They know that the United States is not going to intervene. They know that the world is not going to intervene. And they look at Israel's government, which is a very wide coalition, which will have a hard time responding to a war situation. Uh, and that plays in their favor as well. The United States may actually act to prevent Israel from responding. Um, Hezbollah is strong. Hamas is strong. Uh, so they have Israel surrounded with missiles should Israel try to act. And they could use those winter months. Now, during those winter months, uh, the Israeli Air Force faces challenges from inclement weather. Um, and its ability to strike long distances is, is curtailed to a, to a significant degree. So if you're going to break out and get a bomb and they need the bomb, wouldn't January-February be the ideal time to do that and present the world with a fait accompli?
0: And this is a doomsday uh, scenario that you're uh, portraying here for, uh, for us, and uh, actually it's quite frightening. Before I'm, I will go on with, with you uh, about uh, the American side, what, you have, uh, what do you recommend the, the new government in Israel to do uh, uh, facing the, this uh, threat?
2: Well, it, it's doomsday. <laughs> doomsday is relative here. Why? Because if it happens in five years, it'll be worse. In five years, Iran will have more missiles surrounding us. Uh, it, its program will be further along. It, it'll be maybe underground. It'll be more difficult for Israel to, to respond. If it's going to happen, I almost prefer that it happens sooner than, rather than later. Uh, it's going to happen eventually. Uh, of that, I'm, I'm absolutely certain. What the Israel should be, government should be doing, is should be building its case. And, you know, I I thought it was very good that uh, Prime Minister Bennett went to to, to Washington and put our relationship with the Biden administration on a a new page. You know, he he said he wasn't going to attack the JCPOA, the 2015 nuclear agreement, uh, publicly uh, the way uh, Benjamin Netanyahu did. And uh, I think that's a good approach. On the other hand, um, I would also say, how about making our case why Israel cannot coexist with an Iranian nuclear weapon? uh, Israel's ability to respond to terror uh, will be greatly impaired if we have a nuclear, an Iranian nuclear weapon pressed to our to our head all the time. Um, it'll become impossible. Defense um, uh, Minister uh, Benny Gantz just spoke, I think, today at a at a, uh-huh. at a counterterrorism uh, uh, conference in Herzliya, and he talked about the need for the international community to uh, to approve snapback sanctions against Iran to act in cur- in concert uh, to. Uh, prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, I think that's a very different approach to Benjamin Netanyahu's, and one of the criticisms uh, of Netanyahu's policy was that it it made it really, they made the Iranian nuclear program an an Israeli issue, Um, and I think that this government is trying to internationalize it again, which is fine, but at the same time, we should be reminding the international community that Israel has the right and the historic, and I think Jewish duty to defend itself uh, and to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, and that we will take action to prevent that from happening should Iran try to bake out. And I think that's, it's, uh, you know, in the old the old Roman method of Carthage must be destroyed. Uh, we should be repeating that over and over again,
0: and, uh, as loudly uh,
2: as possible in every possible form. Benny Gantz did not say that today.
0: This is what you wrote in that piece that we're talking about, that we have to to start and build, not maybe not start, but go on building a, a, the legitimacy of a, of a possible Israeli military a, a, a action, but, I want to, to move now to the other side, the, the American side of the equation, and, and talk about President Biden, that seems to have modified somewhat his comments on Iran. He said he, he's still committed to prevent, uh, preventing Iran from uh, obtaining a bomb, but he didn't add on my watch, I'm talking about the, the meeting with, with Prime Minister Bennett, and he considered that there are other options on the table except for diplomacy. Do you think this is a sufficient clear statement for Iran to view it as a real military threat?
2: Uh, No, it's not. (laughs) I think the Iranians uh, were probably relatively happy with those statements. Uh, What he says is that Iran won't get a a nuclear bomb on his watch. He has said that for many years. I remember he used to say that quite frequently as vice president, and it was President Obama's sort of mantra as well. Um, but Iran could get many other things on their watch, including you know, hundreds of thousands of rockets uh, and uh, expanding its sphere of influence around the Middle East, transforming Syria uh, and Iraq and Yemen into de facto uh, Iranian forward bases against Israel and achieving threshold capacity, the ability to make a bomb very, very quickly, which also would be uh, a, an intolerable situation for the state of Israel. Uh, most importantly, President Biden didn't say that all options are on the table. He simply said, if, poll- if, the, if negotiations fail, we'll cons- we will consider other options. That's a retreat from a longstanding American policy of saying all options are on the table. The president, um, to give him his due, cannot say that today in the aftermath of Afghanistan. Americans do not want to hear uh, that America is poised to get involved in another Middle Eastern war. And my major concern about the United States ban is the degree to which the United States will act to, to reign in Israel. Uh, for fear that Israel will drag the United States into another Middle Eastern war, it's a real fear. Um, we can say that Israel can defend itself by itself uh, against the Iranian threat, but not everybody in Washington believes that entirely. Um, so, you know, they they remember Lebanon in 1982 and 1983. That's some of their memories. So uh, they're afraid of that. Um, and frankly, you know, I can understand them. Now, given the state of American uh, trauma over Iraq and, and Afghanistan, I can understand them. But it's very important that Israel makes its case. Also to the president, again and again, I, I'm sure that Prime Minister Bennett did this, and that is that this agreement, the JCPOA, does not bind us in any way. We're not beholden to it in any way. Uh, we view it as a strategic and possibly existential danger, and we will, d- we will take every and all measures necessary to defend ourselves uh, against Iran and Iran aggression and Iran nuclearization. Just a final point, and that is, I would have hoped that uh, Prime Minister Bennett, in return for his silence, um, vis-a-vis the JCB. I would have I would have hoped that he would also have asked uh, Prime Minister, uh, President uh, Biden, what America could give us to help shore up our our security. Uh, America has vast military capabilities, many of which we do not have. Israel does not have strategic
0: bombers, for example,
2: and they're also and the United States could share some think of those capabilities it's with the, us.
0: Uh, uh, Ambassador uh, uh, Oren, do you think it's on the table, the possibility to get strategic bombers? Because People that are not familiar with this issue and, the, and say that maybe the Americans can supply Israel with with the bombs, with the penetrating, uh, very very uh, heavy bombs, that 50, they, pounds. exactly yeah. that under President Obama were uh, manufactured in the United States. They don't understand that we need the, the B-50 52s to to fly them. We don't have this cap- capability. I think we we even don't have an airport in a military airport in israel that can that this that this bomber can fly from so is it really on the on the table in your opinion
2: it was on the table during my period as ambassador oh. and then as my period as uh, as uh, deputy minister of the prime minister's office it was on my table again um so it's a, it, it's an issue i know quite well um and uh, i who knows maybe if uh, if trump had been reelected we could have gone somewhere with it um president obama uh, during my turn, term, uh, turned it down twice, uh, not for want of trying, And I hope I'm not making headline news here, but I thought it would be an important message to do you know, publicly to show the Iranians that you know, we mean business. Um, even allowing Israeli air crews to train on one of these bombers would have been a good message for Iran, uh, but that was not to be. And uh, I think I, w- I would hope that it was something that the Biden administration
0: would seriously consider. Very, very interesting what you just said. Do you think without these capabilities, is there any real Israeli military option uh, uh, vis-a-vis Iran after it was neglected uh, in the last uh, few years? There there was no budget. Now, I think the government just approved 7 billion shekels in order to uh, to restore the military option. What do you think about it?
2: I think that israel has the right i think israel has the ability to defend itself against Iran. i can't go further than that okay but i i do uh, obviously it's not the same ability that the united states has and you know there's a part of me that's that wants to say to to american decision makers listen you just suffered 20 years of humiliating defeats in afghanistan and iraq you could erase all those defeats uh in one night of bombing <laughs> over Iran. Um, and and by the way, these strategic bombers bomb from like fifty thousand feet in the air. Iran has nothing that could touch that. Nothing. This so is America exactly what
0: I wanted to ask you, uh, Ambassador yes. Oren, because. I, I, I think we can appreciate the, the, the American trauma from uh, spending the trillions of dollars and thousands of lives in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. No one uh, can uh, from us here uh, in Israel or elsewhere can recommend the Americans to, to go on do it uh, in, in some other places like Iran, but isn't there a, a way to, uh, to uh, convince the Americans that it's not a war we're talking about, that they have the it's- capability to destroy the Iranian nuclear uh, program without spending lives or uh, the, uh, a huge amount of money?
2: You know, I, I'll never forget sitting at a meeting with uh, then Defense Minister Ehud Barak. And American policymakers. And, and this is you now 10 years ago. He was saying to them, listen, you can, in one night, a couple of hours of bombing, you can erase all of your failures in Iraq and Afghanistan. That was 10 years ago. Uh, and I think it's it's far truer today. The Obama administration and and then after that, the Biden administration uh, had a, a mantra, and it was kind of a, a false dichotomy. It's either diplomacy or war. And it it put people in a very difficult position. I mean, nobody in the Middle East actually believed that. President Obama was gonna to go to war against Iran, the only people who believed it were a significant part of the American population who were convinced by this mantra that if they didn't pursue diplomacy with Iran, that they were gonna be dragged into another least more war. Um, clearly the alternative to, to diplomacy was not war. It was, it was tougher diplomacy and sanctions. But even if it came to military action, it's not war. Iran does not have an air force band. Iran does not have formations of tanks. There's nothing for Iran to go war against. Iran could support terror against the United States, but it's doing that now anyway, <laughs> really. And yes, and, and, and yes, a night of bombing would take out uh, all of the nuclear facilities and maybe some other important facilities that the Iranians need, and would send an unequivocal message, which is not just, we're not saying Iran is not gonna get a, a, a nuclear weapon on our watch. Iran is not gonna have the means
0: to make nuclear weapons ever. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about the meeting. Uh, you've been the ambassador in a very, very uh, tough uh, period of time during the four Obama years uh, against. I think we can have. we can say against Benjamin Netanyahu. You know everything about it. And what do you think about the meeting? Would you? Uh, how would you describe Bennett's first meeting with Biden? Do you agree with those who think? That the prime minister managed to create a sense of intimacy with biden
2: i think given the circumstances under which that meeting took place it was a miracle that it happened at all um and i do think that there was a rapport established um i can't you know i can't vouchsafe for the president's ability to concentrate at that moment he was dealing with a, a national emergency of historic proportions. right um very difficult but given the fact that he did find the time that they had that discussion, I think it was a worthwhile trip. Uh, my only suggestion, my only reservations were I, I wanted uh, the prime the prime minister to make a stronger case for. I need to defend ourselves. I would have liked the pre- the president to come out and say Israel has a right to defend itself. I thought he was going to do that. Uh, and you know, behind the scenes, some type of understandings about sharing capabilities, and and also understandings about you know when Israel would have to act by itself to defend
0: itself. And what do you think, if we go into Middle East politics, another issue that you were very familiar with, what do you think about, what should Israel react to the reopening of the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem? It is not done yet, it was not done yet, but the president, as we heard, emphasize to the prime Minister that is not going to desert this plan. so the consulate stood there for uh, 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 decades but it's not such a disaster but what you uh, uh, what do you recommend Bennett to do uh, in, in this issue?
2: I think, you know, I think Bennett should oppose it. I think Bennett should oppose it uh, strenuously, robustly. I opposed it even even before uh, it was closed. I thought it was I thought it was a it was a unique situation in the world, sort of sui generis situation in the world. It was anti-Israel, and I think even anti-Semitic because uh, that consulate, if you looked on its on its web page, it didn't have a single word in Hebrew, no mention of any Jews, in the city of Jerusalem was amazing. Never mind that the, the, the Jerusalem was our capital, no Jews in the city according to that website, um, and it, it represents a de facto redivision of the city of Jerusalem, and I think that's I think we should oppose it. That does not close the, the door to alternatives uh, that can be creative. Um, we are sending a very capable uh, uh, diplomat and negotiator, Mike Herzog, as ambassador to Washington. He has my my highest respect. Um, and I think that Mike uh, has the ability to come forward with some creative solutions.
0: Do you have tips for him as a guy that we've been there, done that, saw everything in the in the uh, traumatic Obama Netanyahu years. I think we're not going to to another uh, session of uh, what you've suffered.
2: No, we won't, but in certain ways, Mike's job is going to be harder than my job. Interesting. Um, I think that the political polarization in America is deeper today. The ability to gain bipartisan support uh, for Israel and Israel-related issues is more difficult today. The Jewish community in the United States are more divided than ever today um and the ambassadors maybe his principal goal bo- is to be the great unifier and um you know i often had the sense a decade ago that i had one one foot in two different carts going horse carts going in different directions uh those horse carts are not horse carts anymore they're race carts and <laughs> and he's going to have a very difficult time he will um but again i think he's a very capable person if anybody can do it, he can
0: you know i, I think about it uh, talking to you now now in red Retrospect, what do you think about uh, President Obama' uh, uh, attitude to Israel? There is a harsh uh, debate in Israel between people that think that uh, he was a, a, an Israel supporter, but he was not, you know, a, a lefty. and uh, But he, he invested a lot in Israel's national security, you know, the arrow and everything. And the other side, especially the, the, the BB camp that says, anything, but almost he was an anti-Semite.
2: No, he was not an anti-Semite. Um, I think I got to know Barack Obama fairly well. I liked him, I respected him enormously, um, but we had policy differences and substantive policy differences uh, about specific issues such as the peace process, certainly about Iran, uh, but more generally, I think that, that Obama was part of a generation that didn't remember the Six-Day War, un- under like, unlike uh, Joe Biden, you know, didn't grow up with Israel in his heart, as we like to say. Uh, Israel is a foreign country. He understood, and I heard him say this. I, it was so funny. The last day in job, uh, I was in the White House in the Oval Office with Bibi, and Obama said the most extraordinary thing. Ben, he says, if Israel ever went to war, the United States would be there, because that's what the American people expect. You hear that? Not what I would. Not what I would feel. That I had to do. Not that I feel that I, you know, incumbent. I feel morally. It's
0: not me. You know, it's the, to people. the
2: people. The people. And so he was a realist, he was a, he was a politician. But having said that, I think he sought to, to normalize the special relationship between the United States and Israel, to take it down a few months. Um, he was deeply committed to international organizations like the UN that are, are hostile to the state of Israel, you know, the Human Rights Commission, um, that those institutions. He was the most, you know, most popular, most, most pro-Palestinian president ever. Um, and he changed some fundamental principles in our relationship one of them was no surprises. Um, in, in previous administrations, Israel always got a copy of a speech that the president was going to make, uh, if that speech, you know, touched on our interests. Um, you may recall that in 2002, President Bush gave Ariel Sharon a, a draft of the of the roadmap to comment two weeks before. Um, president Obama went to Cairo, gave the Cairo speech, an hour and a half speech that changed many longstanding aspects of American policy. We had no warning of that at all. Nor did we would I nor would I receive any warning of any speech he made about the Middle East for the next five years. Uh, in one case, I was actually misled about the uh, the content of it. So very very different. And yes, he gave us great support for Iron Dome and and uh, and Arrow three. I understood though that um, that on one hand he was going to give us money for our systems, on the other hand he was going to uh, condemn us in the Security Council uh, and. But
0: didn't Prime Minister Netanyahu earned uh, this uh, condemnation, etc., when he as a revenge uh, landed in, uh, in, in uh, Washington on, uh, I think it was March 2015, to have uh, these, uh, this famous speech uh, to the Congress without uh, coordinating it with the president? Well, you're,
2: you're probably asking the wrong man that question because I oppose the speech. And I think I that Netanyahu never, never forgave me for it, frankly. I mean, I agree with every word of the speech. I just I strongly disagreed with where he gave the speech. I knew it would actually cost us uh, bipartisan support and it has. People haven't forgotten that speech. Um, but having said that, you know, that speech followed six years <laughs> of uh, extreme animosity. Yeah. And I think, uh, in many cases, gratuitous animosity of, of, toward the White House, toward Netanyahu, toward the Israeli government. It was uh, Jackson Deal, the, the famous columnist from the, uh, the Wall Street Journal who once wrote that, that Obama treats a Netanyahu worse than a third world dictator, you know, bringing him through the back door of the White House and not taking a picture with him. It was like all humiliation. And it wasn't just one crisis, it was, it was rolling crisis from, really from day one. And, um, and while I disagree with the speech, you know at that point there was certainly certainly no love lost.
0: so um, so let's move back to to these days to president biden you know when when i heard and so what 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 happened in afghanistan right now and the harsh criticism yeah. that president suffered after it even uh, in his base and the polls and etc maybe i'm trying to uh, to challenge uh, what you said before maybe this can work it, it, uh, in favor of Israel or pro-Israel, because maybe now the administration will will uh, think twice before going on uh, getting out from the Middle East. And would you recommend uh, Bennett and Lapid now to try to uh, organize, you know, uh, an alliance of uh, states like Israel, Saudi Arabia? the Emirates, uh, uh, Jordan, uh, Egypt, and come together to the, to the president, talk, about, talk to him about Iran.
2: I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a, a very um, well-conceived notion. It depends on where America is right now. You know, I guess I'm a little older than you. I'm probably a little bit older than everybody at this point, uh, <laughs> but I, me- I remember very well the fall of Saigon in 1975 and uh, a great humiliation after a horrible war of 10 years. And you know what the United States did in 1975? It immediately barked on multiple ambitious diplomatic initiatives. It was the SALT II treaties, it was the Helsinki Accord. And here it was Sinai I and II with Kissinger shuttling between Arab and Israeli capitals that laid the grant basis for our peace with Egypt, Um, really great achievements. And uh, it showed the world that America you know, wasn't going anywhere. America could still you know, punch well above its weight. Um, I don't know where America is right now after Afghanistan. I don't know whether America is so divided at this point and so you know, torn up inside over issues like critical race theory and, and wokeism, um, whether it's in a position to begin to exert its influence uh, diplomatically around the I mean, one of the responses to Afghanistan I would have welcomed would be uh, for President Biden to get up there and say, "Okay, now I'm going to focus on expanding the Abraham Accords to bringing Saudi Arabia and Kuwait into that uh, that alliance. Uh, But instead, uh, the president wouldn't even use the term uh, uh, Abraham Accords. He didn't.
0: Okay, so now I think my final question, although it's it's very interesting to hear you, Ambassador Oren, I want to. Okay, uh, with you uh, uh, on another issue that you mentioned in your piece, Lebanon. You're, you've argued that, contrary to popular opinion, Lebanon's collapse is bringing Hezbollah closer to a clash with Israel rather than weakening Hezbollah and uh, tying his hands. Please explain.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a veteran of not one but two Lebanon wars, um, and it was always my opinion, certainly after the second Lebanon war, that Israel made a mistake by not declaring war against Lebanon. Um, Because from an Israeli perspective, the distinction between Hezbollah and the Lebanese state is an artificial distinction, they're one and the same. And if Hezbollah attacks Israel with hundreds of rockets, Israel should respond by uh, bombing the Lebanese power stations, its ports, its airports, closing down the country and actually declaring war in, in in a formal diplomatic way. We can't do that today. We can't bomb uh, Lebanon back to the Stone Age because Lebanon is in the Stone Age. Half the population is well beneath the poverty line on the verge of starvation, and they're coming up to winter. Where's the fuel gonna come from, from heat? People are gonna freeze to death. Very cold in Lebanon, you may remember, I remember. And um, were Israel to strike Lebanon now, um, we would be condemned by the world
0: instantly, instantly. Even if and we I, will suffer, you know, uh, I think the assessment now is 2,000 rockets a day from Hezbollah. Do you still think public opinion will be against us?
2: Yes, because we won't be striking Hezbollah. We're we'll striking Lebanese civilians. And the, the, the world will say Lebanon has nobility to restrain Hezbollah. You're punishing the people who, who are already being punished. And, um, and I think that there must be people within Hezbollah who understand this. That the humanitarian disaster in Lebanon, by the way, which isn't impacting Hezbollah and its Shiite supporters, um, because they're supported from by Iranian money, um, understand that this gives them a certain amount of, uh, of shield, a certain amount of, of a protection against Israeli retribution. So I, I've challenged the conventional wisdom, and the conventional wisdom, as you said, that 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 you know that that Hezbollah is very much taken up with the situation in Lebanon. I don't think so. I think they're kind of immune to it. And I think they're willing to use Lebanon as a type of human shield.
0: So, what can I tell you now, Ambassador Dr. Michael Oren? It was not highly optimistic, but it was very, very interesting. And I thank you very much for joining us here on Israeli Monitor. And we will take now a short break and come with some final thoughts right after the. Thank you, to Michael. <laughs> I'm
1: Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast on the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something, and you will never be bored, because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti.
0: Thank you for uh, staying with us. The conversation with the Ambassador Dr. Michael Oren was highly interesting, in my opinion, but I was left with one maybe major headline that the Ambassador told us. He recommended that uh, Prime Minister Bennett have uh, to ask the administration for real steps or action to demonstrate its uh, commitment to Israel's security and to Israel's right to defend itself. And the ambassador told us a story from his experience when he served here in uh, Washington, that uh, there was an initiative back in the Obama era, Obama-Netanyahu era, when uh, uh, Netanyahu's Israel asked for the special bunker busters, those uh, impressive and huge bombs, the GPU-57 that were uh, manufactured uh, by the Obama administration. And it included also selling Israel the B-2 bombers because these are the only bombers that can carry these uh, huge bombs. And uh, the administration, the ambassador told me in a conversation later, said uh, that uh, we don't have enough of these bombers. So the, the fallback position was, maybe you will let us train Israeli staff or personnel on these bombers and then leak it to the press And this can be a very clear message and signal to the Iranians that we are very serious here in Washington and in Tel Aviv, and maybe this idea can come back now and Bennett can ask, or maybe he asked the American administration for such a step that will help him maybe to convince uh, uh, the Ayatollahs in Tehran that there is a real military option against The Iranian nuclear program. I I hope you found it uh, interesting, and we'll uh, be back here uh, hopefully next week in on Israel. I'll monitor. Thank you and bye bye.